Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm going to get my, I asked for a, you would think I would get a taller table, but that's okay. So I got something this week that really uh, messed with me because uh, I didn't expect it. I was invited to something that I didn't realize was quite yet here. Oh, thanks, Curtis. Ask and you shall receive. All right, thank you. Um, I, I received something, an email that, I, that really caught me off guard. I was invited this week to my 20-year high school reunion. Now, you may be like, who cares, Matt? I, I did my 20-year way back, right? But for me, I'm like, if you would have told me in ninth grade that one day I would get to go to a 20-year reunion, I'd be like, come on, that's never going to happen. I just couldn't wrap my mind around uh, that. It seemed like so far off. Like, that's what old people go to. And now here I am. So let's do this. Turn to the person that you're sitting around and tell them how long have you been out of high school? Just how, how long have you been out? Go ahead. Come on. You don't tell how old you are. Just how long you've been out of high school, right? Now, let's get a feel for the crowd. Who has been out of high school for at least 20 years like I have, okay? Okay, now keep them hands raised. We're going to see who the old people are, right? Okay, keep them raised up. All right, 20 years or longer. All right, uh, 25 years or longer. Keep your hands up. 30 years. All right, now, okay, now, so keep your hands up. Now, like if you're here and you're like, man, there's nobody here my age. You guys just look around. There are people, right? Uh, 35 years. All right. All right, 40 years. Okay, it's getting smaller. But see, there's people like you, right? Uh, What did I say? 45 years. 50 years? All right, and then 55. So we're awesome. We have, oh, Jay, Jay, how many years have you been out? 51. Wow, 51. <laughs> Let's just all turn to Jay and respect our elder in the room. <laughs> Jay is a family uh, member of mine, so that's awesome. I'm glad that Jay is in the room. That's awesome. But uh, this was me in uh, high school. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. This is my senior picture. You're thinking, I bet Matt got like dated the prettiest girls. And you know what? You would be so wrong. You would be so wrong. I was more like Screech than Zach, you know, from Saved by the Bell. Um, no, but that was me. And I was kind of reflected on that because um, um, this has a little bit to do uh, with Ephesians chapter four, our scripture for today. So please take that picture off Artemis. Thank you. Um, um, because that guy that you just saw is not who the man you look at today is. And I'm a different dude. Now, that guy wasn't completely bad, but at the same time, he was completely bad, right? But who stands up here today, it's a, it's a guy who God, over the last 20 years, has really been doing something in. And, and what, what is true is God is doing something in each of us every day. But sometimes it takes 20 years away from it for us to see the transformation that's taken place. When I was a little kid at Vacation Bible School, we would sing the song, He's Still Working on Me. And the truth is this, if you're breathing... Jesus is still working on you. Now, you may fight the chisel and the hammer, but he's still working on you. And he still cares for you. And and the early thing in Genesis, and I believe in chapter 6 of chapter 1, chapter uh, verse 6, chapter 1, the Godhead says to one another, let us create man in our image. And it is God's desire that you and I look like him. Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't. And that's why God goes to work on us, that his goal is, is that we look like him. We live like his son, who the scripture says in John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Ephesians chapter 1, we've been talking about how 11 times in chapter 1, Paul uses this phrase, in Christ. Like when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in the mess that you're in or the mess that you've created. He sees you in Christ. 
That when God chose you before the, the foundations of the earth, and I would encourage you to go back and read Ephesians chapter 1, when God chose you, He sees you in His Son. He sees you in the image of God. He doesn't see you in all of your mess. And everything that he allows you in your life to take place, everything that you go through is his chisel and his hammer to shape this shell of a person to look more like him. It is my desire for the people of New City Church through this ministry and the things that we teach on and the, and the things that we provide is that when your time comes and you leave this earth and you are preparing yourself for the kingdom, when, 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 when you reign with God, that you don't get to heaven and go, oh, wow, this is how we act here. I don't want our behavior up there to be so different from our behavior down here. We are called to live like Jesus, not just believe in Jesus, but to act and live and model our life after him. God is doing a work in you. Now, you may be frustrated by that work because you're way too hard on yourself or you know that you're not where you should be. And that's a complete uh, pro, uh, uh, season of the process. But just be faithful. And I want to speak to that today out of Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 17. Pastor Chris uh, is in Edgerton this morning. He's speaking on the first part of Ephesians. I want to speak on the backside, and he'll be here next week to talk about Ephesians in the, uh, chapter 4 in the first verses. But Paul writes this in 4.17. He says, So I say this and insist in the Lord. So he kind of gives some authority. He, he name drops. Right, And I insist in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So in the first three chapters of Ephesians, if you were to go back and read those, Paul doesn't ask the reader to do one thing. Paul doesn't ask you or I to do one thing in the first three chapters of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, he is giving the resume of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what that means for you and I. It's a fact sheet in chapters 1 through 3. In chapter 4, he makes the turn and he begins to say, Therefore, because of God's great love for you and I, this is how our affection should burn for him. This is how we might live because of what he has done for us. And so we're going to kind of look at some of those things this morning. And he says, so I insist in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, you may know that if you're not Jew, then you're Gentile. But you also may, like myself, know I know a lot of good Gentile people who are Jesus-loving and God-fearing. So who specifically is Paul speaking to? Well, I, I added this morning uh, how the message paraphrases this scripture because I just thought it kind of related well. The paraphrase of the message says this, And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be not no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. We have to make a decision as we choose to follow Jesus on which crowd you're going to follow. Will you swim with those who are pursuing the cross, pursuing the life of Jesus, or will you go with the, with, with the crowd that is pursuing the things of the flesh and the things that they want to do, the empty-headed and mindless and mindless crowd? Now, in no way am I talking about making great memories with great friends. I'm not talking about that. Some of the uh, silliest, goofiest things I've done, some of them uh, might have considered breaking the law, and that's for another message for another day, have happened with great Jesus-following people in my early uh, 20s and my late 20s and sometimes in my late 30s. But you know, it's, it's not empty-headed and mindless crowd. So don't think that, oh, I can't have any friends and I can't have any memories and I've got to be this, I've got to do this all the time and God doesn't expect me to laugh and I can't have any fun. That's not what he's saying. That's not who, what the empty-headed and mindless crowd means. Look at verse 18 and 19. Paul describes this a little bit more. He says about this crowd, he says, their minds are full of darkness. 
They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. When you think about those that you run with, your, your friendships, those that you do life closest with, because here's the truth, you can read in Scripture that Jesus had meals and had uh, dinners with the mindless, empty-headed crowd, but he did not do life with them. Those that he did life closest with were those that were in hot pursuit of the things of the Father. And you have to ask yourself, when you look at your closest companions, what direction are they walking? You know, um, a friend of mine, I wish he was a friend of mine, a pastor that I admire in Atlanta, Andy Stanley, he sums it up this way. He says, the direction of your friends will determine the direction of your life. For you young people in the room, that your friendships just mean the world to you, listen to this. The direction of your friends will determine the direction of your life. If you don't like where they're headed, well, you better change your situation. You better change your circle of influence because you were too headed in that direction. But the truth is for us older people who grew up, we still have friendships. And maybe they look different than we did in high school. Maybe they don't. But there comes a time when you have to evaluate those that you're running with the closest and say, are these people pursuing the things that in my heart I want to pursue? Or are they chasing something else, their own, their own pleasures, their own desires? And this is the call that's really, really challenging. In the early days of following Jesus, you, just like myself, I had to make really, really challenging um, decisions. I can remember processing as a, in my early 20s those that I was spending the majority of my time with. And I had to say, wow, I can't go that direction with them any longer. And it's weird because some of them have reached out to me uh, as this reunion thing is coming back up. And, hey, are you going to go? Or are you going to be there? And these were friends of mine, they're dear friends, and, and I'm hoping that God is, because I, I know also that God has done work in their life over the past 20 years. And so it's going to be fun to get together and hear what the Lord has done. But early on, there were decisions that I had to make that affected those closest to me. And sometimes we struggle with making those because, man, we love these guys, we love these women, and we want to continue with them. I put this in your, in your insert there if you want to write this in. Sometimes you have to make really clear Jesus decisions. And I put this, a Jesus decision is a choice you make that is difficult but necessary for you to follow. A Jesus decision is a choice you make that is difficult but necessary for you to follow. Some of you want to do both. And listen, it's really impossible. I mean, I can't put this on you, but this was true for me. I wasn't personally strong enough to run with them on Saturday night and sit with Jesus on Sunday morning. I just wasn't strong enough. The influence that I thought that I might have on them wasn't there. Their influence was much, much greater on me. And what happened in my life is that I would, I would uh, get into situations with the best of intentions that would create guilt in my life and frustration in my life. And there are times in your faith where you have to decide, I can no longer closely walk with you. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be your friend. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to check in with you. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to go grab something to eat or go hang out with you for a time. But man, I got to give my life to those who are also going towards Jesus. Because you will walk in the direction of your closest friends. And look what Paul says to do. Look in verse 20 of chapter 4. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul says three things to do there to throw off 
to let the Spirit renew, and to put on. And it's this idea that you literally take off. Like that you take off this this old person and say, you know what, I'm not that guy anymore. And you let go of all of the things that went with that lifestyle. It's like you saying, you know what, Jesus has done something in me. I'm understanding something that I haven't understood before. And it is time that I begin to take off this person and set it aside. It's kind of like that old slippery snake that uh, gets rid of its skin every season. You ever come across one of those, a a snake skin? I'm, I'm even afraid of those things, right? Like, if you consider me your friend and you don't want to be my friend anymore, here's what you do. Just chase me with a snake, right? I, I won't like you, right? You might get hit. You might beat me up, but you're going to get hit, right? Uh, but, you know, we see those old slippery snake skins, and, and but that snake is still around, right? What has it done? It has shed its skin, and it's developing a new one. Or think about maybe when you were a boy and you would go and you would pick those old lotus shells off the tree. Remember those things, those little crunchy outer shells? It's a, we take this off, right? Now... Here's a part of my story that I wanted to share. For much of my Christian life, I did that. I took off the old self. But I want you to notice what Paul says next. Let the Spirit renew. And this is where I messed up. In my life, I tried to renew. Because I was running with other people who were pursuing Jesus. And I was going to church on a Sunday morning and I was hearing the pastor uh, give a teaching from the Scripture. And I was in an occasional Bible study or an occasional book study. And I was doing a little bit of reading on my own. But the truth was is that Matt Miller was trying really, really hard to be good. And I was trying really, really hard to uh, do what I knew to be right and true. I was trying really hard to look like them. To look like those people that I was now walking with and to do the things they were doing. I was striving really, really hard. But there's challenges when you follow Jesus. And I started this journey when I was a a single guy. I wasn't yet married. I wasn't dating anybody. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that in Scripture and through conversations, that there's a different expectation on you on how you show affection and how you date being single compared to how the world might do it. Like if your strategy as a Christian is to date like they date on the the TV show Friends, if you still watch that, right? Listen, that's not a biblical worldview. I mean, uh, that's a great cultural worldview. But it's not a biblical view, but it was a challenge for me. How am I supposed to let her know that I like her without crossing lines of the scriptures that I'm reading and I'm hearing about that I shouldn't cross? It was a great struggle. How was I supposed, at the time I was still living with my parents. How in the world am I supposed to show respect to the authority that God's placed me under? Because I was a knucklehead. Me and my dad didn't always get along. Now my father is a great friend of mine. My dad is a great friend of mine. But in my early years, man, me and my dad were like oil oil and vinegar. We, We didn't get along. And here I am now uh, putting, taking off the old self, and I'm trying to look more like Jesus. How in the world am I supposed to submit to authority? Now listen, I don't live at home anymore, but there's still authority in my life. And how, how are we, as Jesus followers, supposed to represent or respect the authority above us when sometimes we think that authority is nonsense and, and, and doesn't work? Like, what do you do? Like, I was struggling with that tension. So how do I deal with girls? How do I deal with my dad? And I also was working. And here I am going to work, and, 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 and so I've, I've, I've restarted this relationship with Jesus. My job hasn't changed, and so this old Matt who used to look like this and the things that he, he strived to do in that workplace now is a, is a different Matt. There's something going on within me, but yet I'm still going to the same workplace. What, how in the world am I supposed to honor God as I'm managing and leading and being led? What does this look like? And although it's, I'm not uh, in my early 20s anymore, the same is true. How do I lead? How do I be led? How do I follow and, and have this idea of a authority and respect in working as I would work for Jesus? Like, how in the world am I supposed to do this? And I was trying to figure all of these things out by being good and doing right. And there were some days, guys, when you would have been so proud of me. 
There were some days when I feel like I represented that call and I represented what Jesus is doing in my life really, really well. But, but there were often times when I would be distracted. There's probably times in your life when you get distracted and here you are doing so good and then you slip and you do something that you think is wrong. You do something that you know is wrong and now you feel guilt. And so in my world, I would go to church on Sunday morning and I would hear this great sermon by this great pastor. Not saying that I'm great, but the pastor that I had was a phenomenal communicator and he would teach. He was so inspirational. And then but sometimes his messages would create guilt in my life because I wasn't doing that yet. And so I would leave there not encouraged, but discouraged because I'm not. Oh, man, I got to I got to try harder. I got to be better. I got to be gooder. That's not a word, right? And then I would go throughout my week and then I would stumble and do something stupid. I would cross a line that I said I wouldn't cross. I would say something that I said I wouldn't say. And I would do something that I said I wouldn't do. And now I have this conviction from Sunday and I have this guilt because I'm a goofball and I'm just not good enough. And then so my, 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 my spiritual life for a long time was like, Lord, I'm trying to take off this old dude. But to be honest with you, sometimes I pick it back up and I put it back on. Oh, it's aggravating. I was trying so hard. And here's what I'm I'm just guessing. So are you. You're trying so hard to be so good. Now, I'm going to share with you something that I've learned about myself as I reflect back on those days. As hard as I was trying and as determined as I was. Listen. I have missed very, very, very few Sundays. Like once I said yes to Jesus, I didn't like take hit my toe in the water and say, well, I'm going to check. No, I dove in. I got involved in ministry right away. Like I've been sold out to this idea of following Jesus since, since just the early, late teens, early 20s. There's no been wishy-washy. Like I've just been in. But as I reflect back with all of the church and all of the things the church provided that I've absorbed and I've learned from, all of my willingness to strive to be good and to do better, to, to, to step away, to be renewed, here's my reflection. I did all of that on my own strength. As I reflect back, do you know that I rarely, rarely was ever abiding in the word? This blows my mind as I reflect back on it. As as serious as I was to look more like Jesus, it is astounding to me how little time I actually set with him to let him speak into my life. And man, I would try and I would strive and I would do, I would try so hard. But as I reflect back on it, there were, I mean, it was more like, I didn't read the scriptures as a relationship. I read the scriptures as something that I was supposed to do. If I don't do it, somebody at church is going to say something and then I'm not going to be one of the good ones, right? And so sometimes when I went to the scriptures, it was like I was craving for that test, right? Maybe I did something really stupid, so I, you know, I look in the back for what does the Bible say about this? You know, because the internet wasn't as prevalent as it was now. Maybe you Google, uh, you know, lust, and then you read all the scriptures, and you just walk away feeling even more bad about yourself, because somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that you're probably going to do that again. You probably know you're going to uh, think that again, or steal that again, or have that attitude again. And so, man, you try and you try, and I try and I try, and as I reflect back, I did all of that trying, and I rarely ever sat with Jesus. Paul says. Don't renew yourself, but what? Let the Spirit renew you. Man, if I could save you a lot of time and a lot of frustration, here's what it would be. Stop trying so hard and start setting with the Lord. Stop trying so hard and start setting with the Lord. The real smart theological term is sanctification. Sanctification is when God makes you look more like Him. Here's the challenge. Sanctification is not you making yourself look more like him. 
Jesus is the one who does the work. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your mess. He sees you in Christ. Remember what I said earlier? He sees you in Christ. It is Jesus doing his work in you. How in the world can Jesus go to work in your life if you're so busy and so preoccupied that you can't ever sit down with Jesus and let him minister to your life? I'm just going to tell you what God's done in my life over the last year. He's changing me in a great way. Forget 20 years ago. I'm not the same dude I was six months ago. What's the difference? Every day I sit with the Lord. Every day. Some days I don't feel like anything happened, but it doesn't matter. I'm here on purpose, Lord. There's other things I could be doing, Jesus. There's games I could be playing on my phone. There's conversations. There's emails. There's texts. There's things I could be doing. But Lord, I'm putting all of that on hold so that I can sit and hear from you. And I read the word and I ask this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me through the Bible, through the word? And what might I do about it? Like, what do you want me to do? And it's amazing how, listen, your heart can only hold so much stuff. Now, I know you think you're an overachiever and you can handle all things. Here's the deal. You can't. You may be super high capacity, but you can't. Your heart can only contain so many things. And if you're not careful, the cares of this world and the love for the things of this world, for the cars and for the houses and the promotions and all these things can begin to push out whatever Jesus is in your heart. He can push those things out. And what I'm seeing in my own life, and I hope it's reflected and you guys see it in me, is that the more I sit with the Lord, Jesus pushes out all of this nonsense. That Jesus says, listen, I'm creating me some elbow room. And he begins moving himself around in my heart and things that once had a hold of me no longer have a hold on me. Things that I've tried for 20 years to let go of. Jesus says, oh, dude, no, no, no. This ain't about you, Matt. This ain't about you trying and being better. It's about you in John 15, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. What's fruit? Fruit is that you look more like Jesus. How do you look more like Jesus? You sit with Jesus a little bit longer than you did the day before. Church, quit trying. Let the Lord do what he wants to do in you. He's wanting to transform you from the inside out. I'll show you something. See this? I got the same note you got this morning. I'm speaking from what's going on in my life. Not a lot of research that I had to do this week to feed you something that I... No. God's doing something in the life of this church. Not this church is doing something for God. Did you see the difference? This church doing something for God is bottom-up thinking. Top-down thinking is God's going to do something with this church. And I trust that. How do I know that? Because your staff and your leaders are sitting with the Lord. I believe this. The people that you look to and the people you ask to pray for you and the people that we lit up here and they teach the word to you, I trust with full confidence that they're sitting with Jesus and they're letting Jesus do something specific in them. And we invite you. I beg you to join us in this. You've been trying too hard. You're going to wear yourself out. Learn from a knucklehead that's been doing this for almost 20 years. It ain't about you. You're going to continue to get frustrated. You're going to continue to feel guilt. And man, the enemy loves it when you feel guilty because he just prounces on you like a lion and he makes you feel like a worthless piece of junk. But God sees you in Christ. And so when troubles come your way, don't freak out. Say, Lord, thank you for these troubles. Because in Christ, I know that I have victory through these, that I can overcome these in Christ. And so, Lord, I sit with you and I trust you that you are going before me. And finally, Paul says in chapter 4, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. 
The Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that was in Jesus, now resides in the follower of Christ. You don't have a different Spirit. The same Holy Spirit I have is the same Holy Spirit you have as a follower of Jesus. It is a God's promise. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, it is the seal that God gives us to let you and I know that we belong to Him. Here's the deal. If the Holy Spirit's in your life, and let's say that your life, your body, your actual temple here, your, 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 your physical self was a church, and the Holy Spirit wants to have a worship service right now to the Lord, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit, He communicates with the Father constantly on your behalf and on the behalf of the church. What type of environment are you providing for the Holy Spirit to worship? Is it cluttered in a mess like my daughter's room right now? Where the Holy Spirit's tripping over stuff and stumbling over things in your life and He's having to shout over the, the things that you have given your heart to? Or is your life in a place where He can actively and clearly communicate to the Father on your behalf and go in within you and begin this Jesus work that develops you more like Jesus? Here's the takeaway. Stop trying so flipping hard. Be still and know that he is God. Man, if you're like me and you're a go-getter, you like to accomplish stuff, you like to get your hands dirty on things, you like to see that you're, this is hard for some of us. Be still and know that I am God. God wants to do it within us to make us look more like him. Now, in just a second, we're going to show you a story of a guy that many of you know. His name's Clay. And this is how God has done a little bit of a work in Clay's life. Let's watch this together. I'd had a long stretch of uh, things go, going hard in my life before I found New City Church. I moved to Shawnee one week before New City had their first service. A couple weeks go by, and I see that uh, they've added a 11 o'clock service. So I'm thinking, boy, I could uh, stay out late with my buddies and sleep in and still make the 11 o'clock service. So I did sneak in around 11.15 and didn't want to talk to any greeters, sat on the back row. So I was raised in the first Christian church, and after service you go and say hey to the pastor, and I did that. And I said, hey, I really appreciated the message. I felt like you spoke right to me. And he's like, well, you should come to my fireside group tonight. I had really been struggling in my marriage. Um, at that point, my wife had been diagnosed with bipolar, and we had struggled through a lot of financial and uh, just stressful relationship things, and I, I was ready to give up. And we'd been married 24 years at that time. Decided that it was time to start reading the Bible, so I sought out verse on anger. And the first verse that I came to was uh, James. And this was, I, I, it took me a long time to get it because I still had a lot of anger in my heart. But to change it, uh, I, I typed down uh, these two verses, James 1, 19 and 20, and then I added James uh, 1, 26. And I typed them and put them on, you know, my computer screen, on the speedometer in my car, on the mirror in my bathroom, uh, just everywhere I could so I'd be reminded of it, uh, that I know I needed to let go of this anger. I guess that was my really first growth piece, that letting go of that anger, learning not to be bitter. Uh, one of the things that's really helped me grow the most in the last two months would be when Matt started talking about his abide piece and his, uh, you know, 
here on purpose with God. And so I started uh, doing that and following his blog and, and reading Oswald Chambers' Daily Devotional. And then I started picking my own reading to do uh, with that. But being intentional, I'd set my timer for 15 to 20 minutes and still my mind. And then I might play a couple of worship songs first. And then I would get into it and really use the format that, that you know, Matt talked about as far as being here on purpose. And as I dug in further, because I've been growing through the discipleship group process, both as a member and then as a leader, I was really caught by these words in Ephesians, uh, and Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, and this speaks straight, strictly to renewing your mind again. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then skipping on down to 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, in using these verses to help let go of my anger, that changes a lot of things. It, it lets you walk with grace in your heart, and it lets uh, God's peace show through you. I would encourage people to uh, dig into the Bible. Uh, you know, it's it's not a book to be read from beginning to fi finish. Uh, start with, you know, where we're teaching right now in Ephesians or pick one of the Gospels or, or one of Paul's letters um, and take that abide time. Try to make it where you are really saying to God, hey, I'm here specifically to hear what you have to say. And then as Matt and Chris and Casey and Andrew... And all the pastors here have reinforced, try to hear what God's saying to you and try to decide what you're going to do about it. Make a plan and share that plan with somebody else and have them hold you accountable. And if you fall down with your plan, start over again. Really take the time to abide in and learn what God is trying to say to you. And that way you get all the benefits that God intended for you. Amen. <clears throat> Just another story of someone within the body, right, that is figuring out what it looks like to read the scriptures and let Jesus speak into their life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you so much that we don't look the same. Thank you that you're doing something within us. Remind us that it's not about our striving, but it's about our abiding that begins change in our life. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for all that you have done on our behalf. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Have a blessed day, church. I'll see you next week.